case you haven't heard, Natalie's coming back, and she got a job at Otis Elevator. She'll be placed in Knoxville. She'll be training in Nashville for about six months, but she's coming home. Christiana will be home at the end of the month. She's going off to Europe. Uh, she won a scholarship to go with World War II veterans to actual World War II sites. Ten of the students at her college got all expenses paid, so and they placed them with a World War So she's got a buddy, an 85-year-old World War II veteran, that she's going to be uh, traveling with, uh, with ten other students from her school and ten other veterans, and they're going to be going to see the sites. They pick a different country every year. They're going to England. But uh, she'll be back toward the end of the month. But next Sunday, Chris Oaks uh, will be speaking in the morning service. He was going to be here this morning, but uh, their son is in a play at, what's it called, Bar- the Bard? The Barter Theater, I guess, over in Virginia. And uh, he's in Les Miserables. He got the Les Miserables. Uh, he's, uh, he's got the kid part uh, in the play. So uh, they had practice uh, today in Virginia, but he'll be here next week. Uh, I feel like I'm walking on water a little bit this morning because it's probably not going to be like my normal sermon because I just really felt um, a desire to minister this morning. I just feel like I'm walking on water a little bit, and I just feel like the word that God's given me is less of a sermon and more of a message, all right? So um, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 9. We're, we're in a series called Going Viral, and we're talking about how the church just went crazy uh, in the book of Acts and uh, grew. Remember, we went from 12 apostles to in the upper room, there were how many in the upper room? 120, yeah, 120 in the upper room. And then how many know how many people were saved on day one? 3,000, okay, so we went from 12 to 120 to... 3,000. And the Bible says that on that first day of the church, the Lord added, you know, to the church. And then after that, it's the last time the word added is used. Every time after that, it's the word multiplied. So the, the church just went crazy. In fact, by the time the apostles had lived out their lives, the scripture says that these guys, ordinary men, had turned the world upside down. So so the very known world had been turned upside down as the gospel had gone viral. Now, think about the fact that the way that both the civil government and the religious groups tried to stop what was happening was to cut off the head by crucifying Jesus, right? It's interesting how the secular and the sacred came together for that event. So you've got Pilate representing... You know, the secular, you've got the Sanhedrin who brings him. Neither the secular government wanted Jesus around because they only wanted Caesar to be Lord. They didn't want Jesus to be Lord. And, and Jesus was a threat to the religious leaders uh, who were going about the big business of, uh, of doing what they did. And Jesus was turning all of that upside down. So imagine, if you will, now that Jesus has died and he's risen and he's ascended up into heaven and now the Holy Spirit has fallen. So they thought they solved the problem and now they've got these thousands of Christians running around. Um, The church is going viral. So they decide, and once again, the secular and the religious come together. There's both religious persecution and there's secular persecution. Uh, the Roman government begins to persecute the church and also 
uh, the Jews begin to persecute the church. And we find in Acts chapter 7, the very first Christian martyr, anybody remember who his name was? Stephen was the very first Christian martyr. And what, what really brought them to killing him was the line in his sermon where he talks about God does not dwell in temples made with hands. So he's basically preaching what they considered an anti-temple message, that God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, and he compares it to the idolatry where we made idols with our hands, but what God is doing is not made with hands, and it's bigger than anything we can put our hands on or get our hands around. But there's an interesting, we're introduced to a character at the end of the story of the stoning of Stephen. It's very interesting how that that, that ends. Um, Stephen, uh, when when he says this about the temple, says they covered their ears, they didn't want to hear it, and they started yelling at the top of their voices. You ever see kids do that when they don't want to hear? They just cover their ears. They, They didn't want to hear it. Start yelling. And they all rushed him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named what? Saul. We're introduced for the first time to a guy by the name of Saul. And then Acts chapter 8 says, And Saul approved of of their killing. And then it says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But listen to this. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So Saul is making it his business now to destroy the church. Well, because of what he does, the church scatters. And so you have people running to other villages and particularly Samaria and Philip goes to Samaria and he begins a revival there that's so powerful. People are getting healed. Evil spirits are being cast out. The most famous sorcerer there, Simon the sorcerer, he even believes he wants to buy the gift that the apostles have. The apostles come from Jerusalem to Samaria uh, to see what's going on and to uh, and, and to pray and get. And then the Bible says, and then the apostles made their way through all of these Samaritan villages. So, so now the Samaritan village. So, so put yourself in the place of Saul. He's trying to stamp it out, and now it's going viral. Okay, now it's going international. So, what does Saul do? This is where we begin our text today. Stand, if you would, in honor of the reading of God's Word. In chapter 9, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly, 
A light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. He said, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind. He didn't eat or drink anything. And in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called him in a vision and said, Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus, or from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision he'd seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. See all this Holy Spirit stuff going on? Saul's having a vision that there's a guy going to come pray for him whose name is Ananias. Ananias is having a vision that uh, he's supposed to go talk to this guy named Saul. But the Lord said to Ananias, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. He was afraid because he knew of Saul's reputation. And he said, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. Lord, we just pray that today that you would speak to us about the importance of the suddenlies of God. And I just pray, God, in this congregation and in our church, Lord, we would see you do some suddenlies among us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Suddenly. There was nothing in Saul's life that would have predicted this day. His life was not leading up to a moment of conversion. In fact, he was bred from a child to be a hardcore religious Jewish truth fundamentalist. The Bible said that he he studied under the feet of Gamaliel. He had a great education. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul, when he's given his testimony, later his name is changed to Paul in Acts 26. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Paul saying when we had to vote, whether they had to die or not, I always voted kill the Christian. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting that I even hunted them down. In foreign cities. Nothing in Paul's life would have predicted his conversion. Suddenly, I think, that's what I want to, that's all I want to preach on today is suddenly. Suddenly is such a, a wonderful passage, uh, such a wonderful word in Scripture. 
The Old Testament is filled with this longing for a Messiah and for a Savior. And Malachi finally says, I'm going to send my messenger who's going to prepare the way before him. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. After thousands of years of waiting, you've been waiting and you've been waiting, but suddenly, Jesus is going to come on the scene. Then they were told after Jesus ascended to wait for the promise of the Father, to wait for the Holy Spirit that would come. And the Bible says that on the day of Pentecost, they were all in one place. And the Bible says that suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the place where they were. I'm sharing all this today because I believe while it's wonderful what God is doing here at the church and we're in this process, we're in this growth track and we're seeing God do great things and little by little we're seeing all this progress happening. I came to tell you this morning and I really believe what the Lord wanted me to share with us this morning is along this gradual process that we're on that he also has in store for us some suddenlies. There are some unexpected moments where We're going to come to church and it's going to be just an ordinary day. We just came and we kind of know what to expect. We're going to sing three or four songs and and then we're going to pray and then Phil's going to preach and we're going to take an offering and we're going to, you know, go home. But I really believe that, that, that God wants to do some things among us that are not planned that are not scripted that, you know, that, that he kind of Messes with our order of worship, if you will. You know, I believe in planning. We've we've got planning center online, and I know what songs we're singing and what order we're doing them and who's supposed to be uh, making the announcements and all of those kinds of things. And I'm all for order, and I believe in order, and I believe in structure, and I believe all of those things. But if all we have is order and all we have is process, we're going to miss out on... The life-transforming power of God where he's able to take an ordinary day and suddenly everything's different. You know, this morning there was something inside of me when I woke up today that I just believed that God wants to do something suddenly among us. When I woke up this morning and it was raining and you know how it is, it's raining and you sort of, you sort of get these stereotypes, it's going to be a rainy day, everyone's feeling rainy days and Mondays always get me down, you know, all, all that stuff, you know, that starts going through your mind. And I just woke up this morning with something special inside of me that said, Lord, on this rainy day, there's going to be some people that are coming to church that have deep needs in their lives and they don't need me just to go through the motions this morning. But there's some people here that may need a suddenly inside of them. Where they came here one way, but God wants to do something so dramatic. I I remembered this morning on this rainy day, I remembered a snowy day in Illinois. It was one of those days in Illinois that most of the churches canceled. Because there was a snowstorm. We decided that we were going to 
go ahead and have service, but my faith was small enough, we decided to have it in the fellowship hall instead of the, the auditorium because I didn't want our larger auditorium to just have, you know, a few people in there. And so I try, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking the psychology, get them in a smaller room, it'll feel better, you know. I don't know why, I don't know where they came from. We had people drove through the snow. We had people drive 30, 40 miles through the snowstorm to be there that morning. We had a much larger than expected crowd. We had people that came from other churches because their churches had canceled and they came and they got in our fellowship hall there that morning. And on that snowy day when you would have never predicted that anything marvelous could happen, that anything wonderful could happen, I really believe that that snowy day was the turnaround day at Christ Community Church. God showed up in such a powerful way in that, in that, in that fellowship hall that for years after that time, people would refer to that church service where we came on the day when, when many churches had canceled because of the snow, and we came together. And I don't know how it happened. We didn't manufacture it. Just somewhere during the, during the praise and worship, the presence of God came down. Something happened in our little church that day. But there was a suddenly that changed everything. One of the things that I believe God would have me say to us this morning, Life Church, is that our church has to be possessed with the deep-seated belief. Hear me this morning. That no matter what somebody has done, no matter where they've been, no matter what is on their record, no matter how far they have fallen, that at Life Church we believe that God can change people. That God can do anything. If I didn't believe that God could change people, I would do another line of work. It's becoming very popular today to just to say people can't change. I hear Christians saying that. Oh, you know him, he'll never change. Oh, that guy. Oh, man, if they walked into the church, the ceiling would fall in. You know. There, there's an attorney that, uh, that goes to Rotary with us, and she's just obviously a fired-up Christian. You would just assume that she's been a Christian all of her life. And, uh, and we've, we've begun a friendship with her, my wife and I, with her and her husband, and her husband's not a believer, but she is so on fire for God. She said, I'm the prodigal son. She said, I'm the least likely. You would never have expected me to be here. You think I've been this way all my life. I'm eating all this stuff up. You know, I'm, I'm growing all the time. But let me tell you something. If you'd have known me four years ago, it wasn't that way. But suddenly, suddenly, you would not have predicted Daniel to be sitting on the front row of this church. The natural progression of his life was not heading in this kind of a direction. He would be sitting here. If we shared your stories this morning, it does not make a lot of sense that some of you are here today. I love our Bible studies and our small groups, but I also like what happens besides the Bible study, like the food, you know? But you know one thing I love about the food is the stories start coming out. 
I mean, Rodney started telling stories a couple weeks ago. You think you know a guy. I'm not, you know, what's, what happens in groups stays in group. I ain't sharing it, but you would not have predicted that he was sitting right here this morning. And I've been watching you grow, Rodney, and it's just so fun to watch you grow and watch your spiritual development. But you know what I also became aware of? That there's been some suddenlies in your life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Discipleship is important. I believe in discipleship, and my whole rest of my life is about discipleship and growing closer and getting in the Word and praying and all those kind of things. But let me just tell you something. If just praying and getting in the Word is, is all that I have to look forward and sort of walking out my Christianity with grim determination, I just believe that God has something more for us. I believe there's some suddenlies that he has for us that we're going to see people that we would not have predicted they're going to walk into this place and you had said, you know, there's not any hope for that guy, but one moment, can I just tell you, one moment in the presence of God can do more than six months of counseling could ever do sometimes. You may think I was bred to be a preacher. I'm a preacher's kid. You know, one of the reasons that it's really surprising that I'm here this morning is because I am a preacher's kid. Preacher's kids, uh, our stats aren't that good. <laughs> Sorry, Noah. <laughs> Somebody got a Kleenex. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I grew up, boy, you gave me a whole wad here. Yeah, I, I grew up with wonderful parents, and, and I loved the Lord, but one thing you learn sometimes living in a preacher's home is, I'll never do that. Preacher's kids see everything. Um, they don't just see what happens on Sunday. They see what happens uh, throughout the week, and uh, they know the they know the, the trials that, that uh, pastors go through, and and I'm not complaining because all you guys have stuff in your own lives, but we know enough to say we're probably not going to do that. And so I, uh, I was on a trajectory to, first of all, try to just be a good Christian guy. And then I went to Illinois State University, and I was in the honors program there, and I had a professor there who called himself an evangelical atheist. He said it was his job. He was evangelizing his atheism. And he just took his world history course as an opportunity to take every story of the Bible and to try to cast doubt in the minds of young students. This guy with a Ph.D. behind his name, you know, was just using his freshman, his freshman world history class to just, to just take knocks at our faith. And I wish I could tell you that I was not impressed by it, but I was impressed by it. And and during my freshman year, I had times where I wondered, is there even a God? God, do you even exist? And I, I would watch 
my friends in the dorm that would go out and partying and uh, here I was trying to live a, a Christian life and I wasn't having much fun doing it. And they all seemed to be having a great time. And I remember, reminds me of that scripture where David is, is watching the wicked and he's envious of the wicked. And, uh, and I, was, I was in that state of mind where I was envious of the wicked. And uh, I went to work one night at Steak and Shake. It was on a day like today. It was pouring down rain. And um, I had to walk, didn't have a car. No, I walked two and a half miles uphill in the snow. Both ways. <laughs> but I walked, uh, I walked to a Steak and Shake. And the church that I was attending was having a revival. I was still going to church, but just, just doubting. And uh, something inside of me, I don't know why, I can't put a finger on, but I just was hating the fact that I was at work while they were at the revival. And something was beginning to trigger inside of me, and the rain was pouring down hard, and I'm in my ridiculous-looking steak-and-shake paper hat. And uh, uh, when we got out of... When I got out of work that night, I thought maybe if I run to the church, they're not, they, everyone hasn't left yet. And I was about two miles, it was like a triangle, I was about two miles in from the church, and, and I ran, I remember I ran, I ran through the rain, sweat, rain dripping off of me. And I walked into the church, and the doors opened, and I was there just in time for the altar call. And... Um, I don't know how to describe it to you, but I ran down to that altar and God suddenly did something in me, suddenly did something in me in that moment that my life, the trajectory of my life from that one moment on went a different direction. I transferred schools, ended up going into the ministry, but what was it? It wasn't it wasn't a gradual coming to terms with. It wasn't just the natural. If the natural trajectory of my life had continued to go in the direction it was going, today I would be far from God. But there was a suddenly. What the Lord has just been speaking to me this week about this is that while we're in the business of spiritual formation, we also need Transformation. That the church, it's not either or, it's both and. That, that, that we've got the small groups that are helping us be discipled and we're, uh, we're, we teach classes to help people grow. All those things are important. But let me tell you something, all the classes that you can take, you can attend all the small groups that you want to. But I came to tell you this morning that we each need a suddenly with God. And I would suggest to you that we need more than one suddenly with God. I would say that my, my, my life has been marked by both these, these progressions of discipleship interrupted by suddenlies. The reason I'm here this morning in Knoxville, Tennessee is because of a suddenly from God. My life was not heading for Knoxville, Tennessee. I knew where I was going to be buried. My plans were set. I knew what retirement was going to look like. I knew all of those things. And last year, just, just about this time while I was in Israel, I had a suddenly from God where I couldn't sleep, and the Lord spoke to me. And I, that may sound weird to you, you know. It wasn't like a voice over the intercom, but he spoke to me as clear 
is the fact that you speak to me. I knew that God was speaking to me, and I knew it enough that I would leave everything that I had in Illinois to come to Knoxville, Tennessee. But what would it take to do that? It wouldn't take a natural sitting down with a business plan. It wouldn't take a natural, just the the natural trajectory of my life. But I came to tell you that there's some suddenlies that can make all the difference in the world. So we're doing a lot of things at Life Church right now in terms of structure. This afternoon we're going through bylaws and budgets and all that kind of stuff. And we've already established a growth track, which when our new launch stars will run like clockwork every month. We're working on children's ministry and all of those kinds of things. But if we get it all right and we don't have the fire and the rain and the wind of God, we're just going through the motions. You know what the Bible says? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. The Bible says that it's not by might, it's not by power, it's not by your great plans, it's not by your strategies, it's not by all of those things. But it's by my spirit, says the Lord. You've heard me talk about my upbringing as a Pentecostal, and I have to tell you that, you know, you've heard me talk about some of the craziness of all that. But can I tell you something? There was something that was right about it, too. And you know what was right about it? When you came to church, you believed that on any given service, God could show up in such a powerful way that you may not leave the way that you came. So when I was a kid growing up in that kind of church, there were times that I went to church sick, and I can tell you I left well. With a suddenly from God. I've seen people come to church drunk and leave never tasting alcohol again in their life. With a suddenly from God. Alcoholics set free. I want us, I want us Life Church to be open to the suddenlies of God. The Apostle Paul writes over half the New Testament. This guy was a terrorist. Today we would call him a terrorist. He was killing innocent people. Part of that. But the Apostle Paul, in one suddenly from God, everything changed. You know, last week I cast a vision and we're trying to raise funds for this new new, um, launch. You know what God's put in my spirit? My... No sweat, no strain. That, that, that as each of us do our part, God can take, he can take five loaves and two fish. And in one suddenly, he can feed a crowd of 5,000 so that there's leftovers. God's put in my spirit that we're not going to be a church where we're manipulating people for money and working on their emotions and all that and all that kind of stuff. I just believe... Without stress and strain, God's going to do some suddenly. The, the church that I've been um, 
learning about church planting from. It's called the uh, Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. They started out in a school. They launched their church just like we're going to relaunch. They launched with like 300 on their first week. And then they, you know, and I'll just tell you this in advance. Not everyone who comes to relaunch will be there the next week and all that, you know, so it went down. So it, it came back down to maybe like 150 or whatever. But then from there, they started just growing and growing and in their um, in their school. They were meeting in a school. They weren't even meeting in a church. But God just blessed them so much, um, just open to the suddenlies of God, being willing to live in cramped spaces, being willing to put up with inconveniences, to do what they were doing. Six years after that they started their church, they bought their dream property for several million dollars and paid cash. I don't know how old the church is now, but last year their budget was $17 million and what they actually received was $32 million uh, in their church. And they're, and they're not putting money in banks. They're using it to launch churches all over the country and all over the world. And I just came to tell you this morning that we're going to work hard and there's going to be process and all meetings that we have to have and all those kind of things. But if it's all if it's all about technique and all about strategy and all about all of that kind of stuff, let's do something else. Because we serve a God who wants to take people who are heading one way and suddenly getting a hold of them to where the next moment they're heading another way and changing the trajectory of their lives. I want to be the kind of church that believes somebody like James back there can get saved. God, James, your life, you've shared it in group, was not always on a trajectory to be here on a Sunday morning. And here you are. It's amazing. It's amazing. Larry told his story. You're never going to make it. You're never going to make it. Yeah, but what they didn't know is that God had a plan for Larry's life. God's got suddenlies. Suddenlies for you. No, I just come up. I don't want. Uh, let's play that. What was that song we were doing? Earlier? What? I give yeah, I give myself away. Um, we're going to receive the morning offering and. Uh, what, but what I want to ask you this morning is after you give, by the way, if you, you may have an offering for the relaunch, and if you do, there's a special envelope, I think, in the back of your seats that you can put that in so we know the difference between your regular tithe and offering and, and, uh, and what you're giving toward that. But after you've had the opportunity to give, there might be somebody here this morning that just says, you know, it's a rainy Sunday morning and not even sure why I came today. But I believe God has a suddenly for me today. If that's you this morning, after you've had an opportunity to give, I just encourage you. And I'm going to have the praise team come up and uh, sing. But while we're singing, I'm just going to invite those of you that just want to come this morning. Maybe there's somebody here that's sick in your body and you want to be prayed for. We're just going to pray for God to touch you this morning. God could do it in one moment. Do you believe that today? One moment. Issues going on in your life. You could leave here today changed. We could say that today, what's the date today? 
April 28th. April 28th. God changed me. The trajectory of my life changed. I was heading one way. Now I'm heading another. Valerie, you're singing, aren't you? They can sing without you. I want to give you some oil. And I want any ladies that want prayer this morning, I want you to go up. Valerie, Melanie will pray for you. Any of you else, any of the men that want to come pray for, I'll pray for you. Eulen, you want to come up and help us pray this morning? Larry, you want to help us pray this morning? Lord, we just thank you for your people this morning, and we just thank you, Lord, that on this rainy April day, we just sense your presence today. I just woke up this morning feeling, Lord, that you just wanted to do something special today. Lord, don't let us be so bound to our structures and our strategies that we miss, Lord, a visitation of the Holy Spirit. So we give ourselves to you, Lord, as we give our offerings to you, Lord, more than our offerings, we give our lives to you today. And God, we say, here we are. And we just open ourselves up to a suddenly from God. And I just ask, Lord, that you breathe on us this morning, Holy Spirit. Breathe on life, church, this morning, God. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Rain of God, fall on us, Lord. Send the fire, send the rain, send the wind. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. God bless you this morning as you give. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. If you need prayer this morning, we invite you to come up anytime.